So welcome to another episode of the B2B Startup Sales Podcast, newly actually Europe's B2B Tech Sales Podcast, as we all want to interview like great people like Joseph Fung from uh, Uvaro, like founder and CEO of it after a few successful uh, companies in the HR tech space. So Joseph, you just raised a 12 million Series A um, with Uvaro to make uh, it easier for people to build a career in tech sales. And mm -hmm. uh, tell us a bit more about that and also maybe two things that you discover building Uvaro that people need to follow to fit a successful career in that space. Thanks so much for having me on. And, and thanks, yes, uh, we just announced that raise and it's a lot of fun, more more fuel in the tank. So now we got to go faster and further. So uh, <laughs> big challenges ahead. Uh, yeah, building Uvaro, we help people transition out of other industries like hospitality, tourism, retail, and get them into tech companies, uh, mostly through the sales organization. Um, and there's there've been a lot of learnings, but I think two things that really stood out to us uh, as we, we built Uvaro and as we saw all the success, uh, what we found is that people have a lot of misconceptions about what they need to know to get into tech sales. You know, they think I need to know all this software or I need to know the SaaS industry really well. Um, what we've actually found is there's a couple of things that make a big difference. Uh, the first one is a very uh, strong ability to empathize with the customer. So actually building the skill to listen to the customer pains, to research a customer and to understand their needs is way more indicative of your success. Um, so spend less time on the software, more time on the industry you're going to be selling to. Uh, and then the second thing is that uh, people underestimate their experience you know, all the time. We'll get people who are 30, 40 years old, and uh, they've, they've got this long career, but they come in and say, hey, I'm applying to these tech sales jobs. I have no experience. And it's, it's really, uh, it's sad because they don't recognize the value in their own experience. And so looking into your own experience and applying it to the industries you're applying to. A good example, had a guy who was a bar manager, a restaurant manager for eight years, was saying the same things. So I have no direct experience. Now he's selling scheduling software to bar managers yep. and restaurant managers. And it's no surprise that he's 50% over quota, gets promoted in six months. So like, you just gotta see how your experience applies. There's a ton of wealth there you don't even know about. So, so it's really about empathy and underestimating the transferability of, of capabilities and experience and, and background. That's uh, it. Re regarding empathy, like I think it's it's probably the most underestimated skill in sales overall, like at, as part of, of the attitude. Like how do you how do you vet people coming into Ubaro as well, like 12 or four week program, if you really want to give them like the zero upfront tuition, if, if they will make like not a world class, but like a top 20% sales rep in two to five years time. Yeah, that, that's a good question. Uh, uh, the, the unspoken assumption in there is that we're vetting for this skill. Uh, and that's not accurate. We're actually building and training the skill. So a lot of our workshops, a lot of our activities are around building that muscle. Uh, for most people, empathizing isn't a purely natural thing. Uh, like for me, I'm purely, I'm such a logical, engineering-driven, mathematical person. It was definitely a side of my brain that I had to build deliberately. And a lot of our exercises and our workshops are around learning how to do that um, as we're vetting people. And I mean, we get thousands of applications and we only accept yeah. dozens of people. Uh, what we're looking for are the underlying characteristics that can make a sales rep successful, uh, grit, is a really big one. Uh, a growth mindset, you know, not coming to it from a position of arrogance, but coming it from a position of learning and desire to change. Those are the things. Um, so it's a little bit about where someone is in their life journey and a bit about how they see themselves. And I mean, the reality is if you've, 
if you've earned your stripes, uh, bussing tables, you know, flying yep. long haul flights, driving, I mean, you've got grit and tenacity. And those are the things we're trying to look for. What's, what's like the, the most successful transition profession out, out of these, like, you mentioned like flight attendants, chefs, um, barkeepers, uh, restaurant like, like Eureka Hospitality, restaurants, catering. Um, others one might be even like in, in nursing, like healthcare, like people working 12 to 16 hour days, like working weekends, working nights, constantly mm -hmm. under pressure, right? I, I don't know if I'd point to a single job because we see such a huge variety. I, I mean, you're right. We've had so many nurses come to us and say, hey, I'm burnt out. I don't want to do this anymore. People shit on me all day. I just want something where I feel more valued. So yeah, we have people coming from that mindset. Uh, we have people who are saying, hey, I'm in an industry that's tanking. You know, maybe uh, we've had people who were selling print advertising <laughs> and they want, I mean, yeah, they're like, how do I shift gears? Uh, so I think it's less about the industry because we've had this huge variety. Um, I think it's more of, again, about that mindset. So the things I would look for and I'd point to is, uh, are you comfortable digging in and like, here's the system that I've been asked to work through and I'm going to optimize it. Uh, and so it's really funny, people who have worked in fast food and retail, they often get that. It's like, hey, this was the system, the playbook I was given. Now I'm going to work the heck out of that and just be really, really efficient. Uh, people yeah. in uh, transportation logistics, actually, that's one that I'll point to. We had a gentleman who was in transportation logistics, like helping truckers get to the right place, uh, moved countries. So he has zero local work experience, zero tech experience, zero sales experience, um, but knows how to work the system, understand the way it works, empathize with the customer, landed a role selling AI powered business intelligence software to consultants for municipal governments, like <laughs> super specific, but yeah. does three and a half times quota. Shit. They doubled That's his intense. quota and he more than doubled that because he's working on those core skills so yeah it's it's a really interesting journey you, you're touching up on this this core skills topic right and some tech sales people be like oh, i need to work on a pitch i need to work on a deck i need to work on objection handling is like the most common thing like a sales coach charging 5k day to work on objection handling what do you see like in your full-time program i think it's four weeks part-time is like 12 weeks i mean that that's short right like teaching somebody sales in, in four weeks that's like 20 working days what what does the curriculum look like and, and how do you differentiate it also from people with different entry level um pre-knowledge you're right uh, so there's a couple of differences between our 12 week and our four week program uh, during our 12 week program we run our career coaching and advice stream in tandem so you're kind of doing both at the same time uh the four week stream is accelerated on the learning and most of the career search happens at the tail end uh, so it's a little bit more of a concentrated experience uh, and the days in the work are longer. So you, you've got to be more available. Uh, the four week program does not work as well if you're trying to work while doing the program. Uh, so those are the big differences. Uh, in terms of, of training and teaching, the, there's a couple of interesting things. I mean, number one, there's the idea of theory. You know, how do you make sure that you're giving people the right aspects? So we focus on everything from that social selling, you know, prospecting, discovery calls, objection handling, kind of all that theory, uh, but the big, big part of it is a safe place to practice. And yeah. the reality is in most sales activities, uh, you get brought into the company, their bootcamp, and I put quotes around it, uh, is a week or two of watching videos or memorizing decks. And they say, we're going to put you on the phones. And 
it's true, you're put on the phones, but there's not usually very much deliberate coaching or improvement. Yeah. Like at, at the end it's of the week, like, someone listens to the call and says, oh, Manuel, you didn't do, didn't do your objection handling very well. You know, change it next week. Like just very <laughs> infrequent coaching. Yeah. And for us, so, so it's we like, do it's like so much somebody, of that. Yeah, because typically it's like you give somebody boxing gloves and they like do a bit of shadow boxing for a round, then you punch the bag and like, okay, like yeah. now you're going to pull and like spar. And it's like, oh, shit, I got punched in the face. Like, what do I do? Like, don't get punched in the face. Like, yeah, but. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, yeah. It's like, um, go hit the ball, hit, hit, hit the ball. No, just don't miss, hit it. <laughs> and type that's faster, not good type faster, yeah. sell more, like fill the pipe, like more SQLs, right? Yeah. So um, we do a lot of practice, a lot of workshopping. And then what that looks like is, hey, uh, you know, we bring somebody in, we say, Joanne, you know, we're going to do this cold call practice. You're pitching this product and Tony is the CFO. Go. And then we dissect it. Like, hey, what did she do well? What did she do poorly? Let's work on it. Next person, you're up. And there's a lot of very rapid practice. Yep. And so you get this, uh, there's all that great research and, and Malcolm Gladwell popularized it, but that idea of like 10,000 hours of deliberate practice, that's what's often overlooked. It's not about doing it. You could spend 10,000 10, hours. I hate me. I spend a lot of time golfing and I crap at it because none of it is intentional <laughs> practice. I'm just swinging. But if you're deliberately practicing, you accelerate the learning so much faster. And that's what we do. Yeah, there's, I think, a lot of, like, elite athletes, uh, like, there's a difference between exercising and, and training, right? Like, mm -hmm. exercise is you go for a run for an hour to be outside, to relax, to, to empty your brain. And training is, like, do, like, a, a one-kilometer sprint and then, like, go easy for a kilometer, do a 500-meter sprint, and then, like, have this very programming. It's called in CrossFit, right? Yeah, How that's it. You... That's it, exactly. What do you find? is an efficient effective the most effective group size as well for this because mock-up calls obviously can do pair programming right like two people and then you switch side one is cfo and then you switch but it can also do larger groups of like six to eight people for example and then like i guess like the, the marginal effect like is, is getting less of the benefit because you have less engagement time and so on right this is yeah. the problem with traditional universities you're in like an auditorium and there's 700 people and then somebody's like you need to ask questions first before you pitch like great 700 people may be taking notes learning not so much this is the best part about using tools like zoom is that you could change your group size really easily uh and you're right there is an optimal size it actually varies by exercise uh but let's take the example we we're just using the cold calling example uh we find that groups about that four size is best three or four uh the reason why is you need your two role players you yeah. know your, your your caller your customer but that observer seat is really valuable and getting a chance to switch between those. Hey, I'm on the call. And if I'm a buyer, I'm building empathy with that role. That's helpful. If I'm calling, I'm getting my reps in. But if I'm watching the dynamic, I can see what each one is doing and then immediately apply to my own work. And so we actually coach on how do you be the, the recipient of the call? How do you be the caller? And how do you be a really effective observer? And so that three or four size lets you apply each of those roles. You can rotate through it, but then you can mix up those rooms because empathy is way easier to train if you get a chance to talk to many people. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like if you and I practice back and forth, we'd get really good at pitching each other, but that wouldn't teach us how to pitch other people. So we got to mix it up. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. Agrees or like even boxing analogy maybe again, but like if you then suddenly you, you face a southpaw versus regular, then you've never did that. Like, if you hit like roughly not all in tennis in the guy's left hand or so like then like, oh that's different like i you totally lose the game right mm -hmm. how do you 
how do you come up with like real case studies or like how close do you work with hiring partners as well for these, these case studies and these mock-up calls? Yeah, uh, so a little bit of both. Some of the case studies are built internally uh, and part of the benefit of having a, a team that's been doing sales for a long time and having a sales technology on the baseline. So we've got customers that give us real life examples. So all of our case studies and examples are based from real companies and real opportunities. Um, but what we also do is we'll run sponsored programs. So where a company says, hey, we're going to have to hire a ton of people over the next couple of quarters. We're going to sponsor this cohort and then we'll tailor those exercises to fit that industry. So whereas one class might pretend they're cold calling for a learning management system, another cohort might have their exercise that they're calling for project management software. Right. Uh, so, so yes, so we adapt them regularly. So you can have an Oracle lever, Vidyard, um, those people coming in and say like, Vidyard, like, we need tons of SDRs to basically like take incoming leads and tell them like how to prospect better with video. Can yeah. we have like a cohort of 10 people? Can you like source it, educate it, and then hand over the guys that are interested to us? We, we pay you like 10 to 20K. Like so, how does that, how does the placement actually work? Like who, who pays whom, like regarding the revenue model as well? Yeah, great example. So. Our, our North Star customer is the, the individual, the person who's looking to make that change. Uh, so we're, we're not a placement agency, uh, which means we're never going to say, hey, we're guaranteeing you a job at this company. Uh, but likewise, we're also never going to say, you have to take the job we put you in. So yeah. we're very much about helping that bartender learn and get a job selling scheduling software or that former foreign exchange person get into a financial tech company because that fits them. Uh, we're very focused on them. Uh, we do have companies who come to us and say, hey, we're about to hire a ton of people. Can help us find a few people, but also take our current recent hires and run a custom cohort for them. So the company is effectively paying that tuition for all the people they're you know bringing to bear. Right. Uh, and right. So in that example, they've hired them. Yeah, literally like Vidyard would come and say like we sponsor like 10 graduates, so to say, like we pay like the 5k costs and that, like we wire 50k to borrow, borrow like, hey, here's this free lunch for everybody, like a typical accelerator or incubator for startups, right? And then, Pretty much. then that, that's also like they're, they're basically like they're hiring fee because te technically you're doing the job of a headhunter, which is normally three to five times more expensive than what you would charge, right? Now, in those cases, uh, to kind of correct it. Uh, we're not doing that headhunting or sourcing. Uh, the economics don't work well for like a five thousand dollar headhunting uh, yeah. process. Uh, recruiting is expensive. I'm sure all the recruiters you know are listening in. <laughs> That's this doesn't work. Um, in those cases, that would be like, uh, well, the, you continue using Vidyard as a hypothetical. Uh, they'd say, hey, we just hired, we just hired ten junior people, and we want you to run the training for them. Uh, like. As they're onboarding, effectively, we're being that onboarding right. arm for them. Oh, right. Uh, so they, they, you're, you're hiring partners, so you need to be tech partner. They already hire people. And there's like, could you please take care of like the sales enablement and the sales acceleration for these people? Mm -hmm. Correct. So, interesting. Now, what we're also helping out, so that's, that's one mode of it. Um, the second example is where, again, let's use the Vidyard example. They say, hey, we don't have, it's not that we've got 10 people we just hired, but we need to hire two or three more people can we influence your curriculum so that they're better suited for Uvaro? Uh, sorry, for Vidyard. And in those cases, the process is a little bit more difficult because we do right. want to tailor the curriculum, but we also want to make sure we're not compromising the quality or the focus. So things like our cold calling exercise, um, we have certain criteria. Like we need to make sure that the example 
is a is a broad enough representative example. You know that the customer that they might be uh, selling into is a large enough segment so that those skills transfer to other industries. Uh, so it is a bit of a back and forth with a company in that case to influence right. the assignment. Yeah, because you also face that that challenge or at least that balance of like having a B two C model where you like North Star customer is like the, the sales rep or like the future sales rep, and then you also have a B two B case which like ACV is right. 50k for example for 10 people where you like vidyard or, or leverage yeah. your customer right how so, do you how do you balance positioning there like i mean you have like four students like for for young professionals you have four companies and then you might even have like at one point like four headhunters right? because they look for talent all the time right it's uh you're right there's a little bit of attention there but it's actually quite easy to balance uh, like i said earlier our north star customer is the member which makes it really easy to say, hey, this thing the company is interested in or asking for, does that negatively impact the member experience? And if it does, we just don't do it. Yeah. Because yeah. we have to keep a very clear North Star. So to give an example, if somebody came to us and said, uh, you know what, we we have a very weird customer <laughs> we sell into. We, you know, we sell into, I don't know, senators. <laughs> you know, US we, senators. We, There's... we sell we sell to to aircraft manufacturers, namely Boeing and Airbus sales cycles of five it, years. Uh you totally. just need like medic times three. Can you do it? It's like, nah, that's not gonna be exactly translate well to HubSpot or whatever. Yeah. Now the interesting thing would be in some cases, like the the senators, it's just such a unique mm -hmm. buyer, the skills may not transfer over. Things like right. Boeing, there are a lot of industries where uh, so, for example, telecom, you know, the, uh, the ownership is so concentrated. Uh, online streaming, you know, there's about five players that control about 90% of the streaming volume. Uh, right. Aircraft manufacturing. Uh, so th there are relevant industries where those lessons can apply. Uh, so there's a good example where we need to be really thoughtful about what is it we're actually training and how does it fit in. Right, because it's not going to be really helpful if you teach like sales reps, like here's this SDR skill, how you can cold outbound emailing and sequencing with sales of for to like 500 people a week and then you apply that to a company which only has five target buyers right <laughs> totally totally uh in, in in those cases it's it's about saying hey you know maybe that doesn't work well for uvaro's members yeah. and the reality the reality is for those employers if it doesn't fit well that also means we don't have a lot of people in our membership that fit their company so the company's right. not going to want to tap into our talent pool anyway, because we just don't meet their needs. It's so, like the music you play yeah. in a club. <laughs> like exactly. If, if you play like heavy metal or you play like hip hop, basically, like it's, it's going to attract different people, yeah. like from, from the women, from the men, from the DJs, from like the, the sponsors and so on, I guess. That's it, how exactly. Do you, like having, having spoken a bit about industries, how do you see geographies? I mean, you're based out of Waterloo, Ontario, right, in Canada. How do you see that applying like cross continent? Like people go say like, "Hey, I really want to get a job in Europe." Um, for example, our sales rep, one is from Queens and uh, Kingston, uh, Canada. Like I studied there for half a year. So like I want to work in Switzerland. I want to work in London. Do you have that often, or do you see like what you will get at Varo? Like we're really focusing on North America. Three hundred million is big enough of a market for all of us. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So one thing that we do see is you're right, the North American market is huge. I mean, US alone, the SaaS industry is growing to about a $800 billion segment. They've got a higher quarter million people. So we could build a massive company just in the US. Uh, the reality is COVID accelerated so much. 
you know, we all know selling is happening online. It doesn't really matter where your seller is or your buyer is, you're competing internationally. The only thing that really impacts is can you be awake in the time zone that they're awake? And right. for us, that is a real constraint. Uh, we do live workshopping. And so our earliest classes start at 9 a.m. Eastern and our yep. latest classes start at 6 p.m. Pacific. So we cover a 12 hour spectrum of the day, but that doesn't always fit. So yes, we do have companies who are hiring and members who are enrolling. Uh, I mean, Germany, Belgium, uh, Singapore, Hong Kong, uh, South Korea, uh, but that member who participated from South Korea, for example, was already working a night shift. And so yeah. it was very natural for him to do a, a shifted day. So yeah, we don't have quite global coverage, uh, but I mean, we've only just raised our Series A, so there's still a lot of work for us to do to build our capacity. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I think it's it's really interesting to see how these spaces develop also like in North America regarding the sales enablement and then people in Europe, like where, which is our main playground, the sales playbook, right? It's like mm -hmm. all we heard like from this eight to 12 step sequences and like SDR, BDR, AE, CSM, onboarding management, so on. And I tried to just map it one-to-one and then like we, we need to tell them sometimes like, hey, like we have GDPR in place. Like you cannot run a 12 step sequence with somebody that didn't consent to that. And it also doesn't work. It will not go well for you, right? And it's like, yeah, but that's what all like the, the big companies do, like the, the sales law of Gong and so on of this world. How do you, how do you also factor in like cultural differences, even Canada, US, and then even US, like Texas is very different than California, than New York, than Mississippi and so on. Right? It's like yeah. 50 different territories or countries. Uh, I'm, I'm not, uh, this is going to sound glib, but I'm not trying to be glib. It, it really comes back to the idea of empathizing. Um, I, your example is so good. So many sales organizations and companies are used to trying to train their people by a set of rules. It's like, yeah. hey, if, if you're selling into the Benelux countries, this is the rule that you follow. But if you're selling into APAC, this is the playbook that you use. And uh, reps are used to, to being told, okay, here's the rule, I'm gonna follow that. Here's the rule, I'm gonna follow that. And as soon as the cadence doesn't work, they don't know what to do. They go, oh my God, I need a new set of rules. I know, they can't think for themselves. So yeah. what we focus on is that idea of, here's the purpose of a cadence. You know, here's how you tailor a cadence to your market and to your audience. And first and foremost, always figure out what they need. And in those situations, yeah, it's that makes it way easier to have, say, a North American sales rep sell into a, a French audience where there's different legislation or to sell into right. a Asian audience where there's different, you know, compliance rules. Uh, it, I, it doesn't totally eliminate the fact that compliance research is a real thing. Like it, it is, yeah. it's hard, <laughs> but it's way easier to adapt when your reps are equipped to say, you know what? I know how to use the right story. I know how to tailor it to the audience and to talk about the right competitor. Uh, and so it makes it way easier. Yeah, and I think it's such an important point you mentioned regarding empathy to have this like North Star of wanting to understand first before being understood, because I've seen mm -hmm. like salespeople run like sales engagement platform cadences and I asked like who did you send this to like oh um corporate finance managers like yeah but what buyer persona did you have in mind what problem is yeah. it I don't know I'm just pitching our products like why would you ever do that like my manager told me to contact 200 people a day it's like good but how does it yeah how, how do you better understand if you're really hitting a problem 
That's, yeah, so. that's it exactly. And the number of people who just say, I, I took the template email or I read a blog post with a killer template and I use that. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. ask a quick question in, in cold email, right? It doesn't work in North America anymore. It still does in Europe, by the way. So for anybody listening. Um, yeah, uh, no, fantastic insights. I'd love to ask you like five rapid fire questions and then still like uh, a few takeaways from your side. What's what's next for a war as well? Um, so are you for ready? Sure. Happy to, let's go. Do you prefer one or of revenue from a new or an existing customer and why? Oh, existing customers. If customers aren't growing, they're like trees. If they're not growing, they're dead. So existing customers. Nice. And if you get a 100K bonus, do you want any cash or stock options from your current company? Oh, options, but I'm a founder. I'm biased. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As always, we have, we have founders and we have, we have sales leaders in this podcast. So it's, yeah, you, you can get figure out who's who, right? Yeah. And if, if you can hire a junior sales rep for 50K or a senior sales rep for 150K, which one do you take and why? And I know you might be biased here as well. I'll take three junior sales reps. You only spend the same amount. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, there exactly. you go. Because you because you can educate them yourself, right? So you're in control. Totally. And and what's the number one source of improving your own sales skills after like a long time in this space? Like any people, podcasts, books that you can recommend? Ooh, it sounds silly, but customers calling the customers and then asking them, you know, did this work for you? What could I have done better? Because you're right. There's a ton of online resources, but customers are where you're going to learn most. Absolutely on like your specific situation uh, for Ubaro, for example, for Kite, but also like the fundamental sales skills, like sales methodology, like outbound prospecting, like new, new like ways how to connect it. Do you, are you asking like your customers also how their buy journey looks like more or any specific podcast or, or people that you're talking to on this? Uh, it's funny, I don't have one specific podcast or one specific book because I read and listen voraciously. Uh, but if I had to think to one starting point, honestly, the LinkedIn community is amazing. Uh, tossing out a question or just following the threads, that's often where I get to new books and podcasts. Yeah. So yeah, my LinkedIn community is where I start. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Same for me, pretty much. Yeah. What do you wish you would have known when you were 20 and how old are you now? Oh my goodness. How old am I now? Okay, I'll start with there at 41. So 20 years ago, uh, what I wish I'd known when I was 20 is that uh, these people skills are learnable. I'm a super, super introverted person, like super technical and getting to the point where I'm succeeding in sales, running a company, training sales skills only came from the realization that these are learnable skills. It's not about you have them or you don't. No. And I wish I had learned that earlier. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's an amazing insight because a lot of people out there, like for anybody listening, not yet in sales, that that hear from Joseph, like how great a career you can build, like don't don't get discouraged by thinking I need to be an extrovert that likes to talk a lot and just like is a natural, and even yeah. like that not only sales skills but all the empathy and like conversational skills can be learned, right? Totally. So uh, coming back to you to your very successful Series A, like um, I mean, you, you build a great company so far. Now you get the capital to fuel it to the next stage. Like, what's what's two three initiatives that you can already talk about where you will invest the capital? What can we expect from Ovar in 2022? Totally. Uh, I think all of these link to the same theme. Uh, most people come to us because they want a, a better next job. And so I think about that transition. Um, but what all of our members tell us and, and what we see is that it's that community that's so valuable to them. And so we really think a lot about how do we create a community and services that can help you in your lifelong career. And so what you'll see from us are more programs to help people along their journey, uh, more tools and technology to support that community. Uh, and 
more staff on our side to help support that community because yeah, you, you can't do that just on uh, shoestrings and scotch tape. Uh, so more to help that community of membership uh, now and in the future. Yeah, the amazing closing words. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time to share these insights and also giving people a lot of courage to to in, enter the sales the sales force actually because we need a lot more B2B tech sales people. So wrapping it up, um, Joseph like just uh, founded War actually just two years ago, I think like after Kite um, from four years ago after also uh, building two HR tech companies before um, really like doing a great job at helping especially North American uh, sales professionals enter the new career and uh, just raised 12 million series A, all the best for um, scaling the company up from here. And uh, yeah, let's keep in touch. Amazing what you're doing. Thank you so much. Absolutely.